You're listening to the Northern Hunter Podcast, home of all things hunting, fishing, and outdoors in Alaska. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, James Payne. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, one of these days we'll get one. My name is James Payne. I am your host for the show. I am here joined with my co-host, Nolan Gray. Hello, how are you doing? Fantastic. And Mariah Humphreys. Howdy. All right. How are you guys liking the snow we're having recently? It's That's been right. a little surprising. Yeah. I don't think it stopped snowing for a while. I mean, it had intermittent for like four yeah. days. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's been enough that there's been a few mornings that I've got to, you know, sit in the plow truck and do nothing but listen to audiobooks, And I've enjoyed that. Podcasts. Man, I need to get Both, me one of yeah. those one day. A plow truck. truck. Yeah. Well, this <laughs> this is a real say, nice one. Books are cheap, James. <laughs> be, a, be a lot better than the Home Depot shovel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, uh here you have a uh, little thing you want to bring up for this I, I episode last, getting this kicked uh, off here last episode we were talking about stuff we keep in our packs and we started off with talking about lighters and survival things and mm-hmm. fire starters and i mentioned i believe at some point a uh, electric lighter that i had that i haven't taken a hunting or anything and i just flipped it on as soon as i started talking about lighters and it just came on so it took a good 10 seconds or something like that okay. now, when i first bought this one end is uh, it looks like a usb stick one end, you you flip it out and it you plug it into a wall USB charger no, and it charge it. Gotcha. The other end looks like a USB stick and so you flip it out and it's got a little round cigarette lighter uh, mm-hmm. coil in there. And it gets very hot. It light, it'll light a piece of paper on fire very easily or sawdust. I've used it on a few different things. <laughs> and uh, so I bought it and oh, this is cool. I have to test this thing out. I don't smoke, but um, <laughs> just a disclaimer. But uh I just thought it'd be, it looked, it looked cool, like a cool gimmick. So, mm-hmm. I, so I grabbed it. And anyway, long story short, it was in my pocket. And the other day my wife brought it to me and she goes, Hey, this was in your pocket. It went through the washer. Okay. Oh. So I grabbed it. I can see it's still more, you know, there's still moisture inside of it. So, you know, it's been, if it was uh-huh. it went through the washer recently and just came out of a wet pair of pants. And, uh, so she hands it to me and I just grab it and, you know, do it any, I think any of us would do. And I flick it on. And immediately it comes on. I was like, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I got on my phone and went to put a note in our notes app for the <clears throat> show that I want to talk about it. <laughs> well, a day or two later, I flip it on and it's not coming on. Oh. <laughs> and uh, today I just flip it on and I sit here, let, let it sit here for like 10 seconds earlier today. And it, and it, it actually came on. Okay. I actually like super simple inside. I took it apart and looked at it and didn't change anything and put it back together. And eventually it will come on. That being said, I don't think I would recommend this for a survival situation yeah. unless you keep it keep yeah. it waterproof. Yeah. I was real excited about the fact that it um it worked right after it came out of the washer. Right. But right. Anyway, anyway. It maybe just like helped with the connectivity. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> a little bit of moisture <laughs> in there. That, that moisture corroded something sitting there later <laughs> yeah. causing yeah. it to slow down. Right. But, and you know, honestly, a lot of those those kind of gas station style fire starting systems yeah, would not be what i think anybody should recommend a bic lighter or anything kind of gimmicky like that if it cost you three dollars hey, or this less 8.99 man oh was it oh yeah. man sorry i didn't realize we were in that that tier <laughs> big spender big spender I, I wish i had your money no that's <laughs> oh it's not that so. i have money i just happened to uh, have 8.99 when i saw it <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> happened to be in the building quite a bit huh uh, so, but anyway, so we have a, uh, an interesting episode for you guys today. When you're listening, we're going to be talking about the breakdown of how Alaska divides up the state. So if you're 
looking at coming up here for a hunt and maybe you're a little confused on which area you're going to be in or you're new to the state or maybe just looking to branch out and get somewhere new. We're going to talk about all that here in a little bit. Uh, we've got a couple emails to address beforehand yes. though, if you want to take that away. Yeah. So a good friend of mine, Thomas, that listens to the show quite a bit. He's a good friend of mine. And he, he wrote in in reference to our episode 11 about brown bear guns. And he says, and I quote, no 458 wind mag. A lot of folks prefer that to everything else. Good podcast. Thank you. To no, that, I say it. thank you, Thomas. We appreciate your input. And yes, I do have a soft spot in my heart or a callous spot, I should say, <laughs> for the 458 wind mag. A bruised spot. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I, I do agree that there are a lot of great brown bear guides out there that really do mm-hmm. favor the 458 wind mag and the 458 lot as well uh, for a good brown bear stopper for a guide gun in particular that is a great option and in yeah. when you get up into that realm you can you can shoot uh bullet weights well up into the 450 and 500 grain range even up into 550 if you need to yep uh you know i i know someone that has a couple of 458 lots which is a hopped up version basically of a 458 win mag it's just yes. a lengthened mm-hmm. case yep and uh, it requires a, a, a true magnum length action and uh, the individual I'm talking about has, I believe it's 500 grain Barnes TSX hand loads loaded up. <laughs> it is my good punishment. But <laughs> he swears up and down. No, the recoil is not that bad. It's just a big push. He's <laughs> just constantly in a sling. All right. Well, it must be like getting <laughs> he's not a big guy by, either. It must be like getting pushed by John Cena, but yeah. <laughs> he's not a big guy either. So. No, no, he's, he's not a big yeah. guy, but he's not afraid of recoil and he hates muzzle brakes. So, yeah. Well, and, and, you know, to be fair, there are many, many guns that would probably do the job just fine that yeah. we didn't get to in that yes. episode. It was a very long episode and yes. and we didn't have time to get to quite everything. Yeah, we so, were just trying to hit all the all of the mainstream calibers, the 338s, yeah. the 375s and the 416s. So if you were listening to that and we didn't mention your little your, your pet load, your you know your your preferred. Let us know, and if we like it, we'll mention it. We'll, we'll mention yeah. it, but it also doesn't mean that it's not a decent round. It yeah. just means that we didn't have time to get to it. I and know it wasn't on the top tier of the priority list for us. Yeah. So I know a couple of folks in particular that I, I won't mention their names, but uh, maybe at some point we can have this guy on. He's been to Kodiak a couple of times, and he and his wife have both killed trophy brown bears with thirty out sixes, seven oh eights, three oh eights. And, uh, you know, proper, proper bullet construction, proper shot placement and proper situational awareness to read the situation and not to shoot in a particular time Yep. to, you know, to have the advantage of surprise when the bear doesn't know you're there, a well-placed bullet from a not six or a 308 will absolutely do the job. It might not be ideal for following up in the brush, mm-hmm. but it'll do the job. So that being said, we won't park on that any longer, but we appreciate your input, Thomas. You are, uh, you're a saint and a scholar, and uh, <laughs> Thomas is a good friend of mine. So anyway, then we had another email from Brad. our friend Brad, and uh, he had a he had a few points to make about episode twelve mm-hmm. with last week's episode. Yes, with uh, um, items that should never leave your pack. And I'm not going to read his email. He he uh, he explained a few different things, and I'll summarize and say. Uh, he wanted to make sure that uh, we knew that he carried a candle, an emergency yeah. candle. Mm-hmm. He said it, it'll light even when it's wet. And that's a really good idea. 
if you're in a hypothermic situation where you're just trying to get warm and and uh, and and you don't have a way to start a fire and you have like a tp style shelter or i mean i guess if you even had like a normal backpacking tent it would probably yeah. work just fine but you just put the little candle in the bottom of your tent obviously mm-hmm. in the bottom you don't want to burn your tent down yeah and uh you know don't even- tip it over Right. And he said that the, that the amount of heat that will, that will come from that candle alone will greatly warm up that space. And as I was reading his email, I thought about that. And, and I, I, I thought about a couple of times last fall when I was out, uh, when I would fire up my, my MSR cook stove right, in yep. my tent, I remembered how hot it got in there. Yeah. And just how, how much warmer that made yep. it and how you could use your stove in the same type of situation you just could. to get yourself warmed up. And that thing should light pretty easily when wet too, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, the emergency candle, I think, is a really good idea. It is. It's light. I it's appreciate small. it, Brad. That's and, and, that's a good idea. And to anybody that's kind of scoffing at that right now, do not discount the heat that a do candle can do push off. Do some research on people that have yeah, used I, one. I have. Yeah. Uh, and a, a candle... Mm-hmm. Puts off a lot more heat than than you might think it it's does, especially, especially for the longevity that right. it's going to burn yeah, for. Right. A lot of these survival style candles, you know, they're not super big candles, obviously, because you're trying to mm-hmm. pack them, but yeah. they will burn for hours. Yeah, and, that's awesome. And you're going to get that's awesome. You're going to get a decent BTU yeah. off of that. So, and especially you're you're in that small of a confined space. There's mm-hmm. no ventilation in and out of your tent necessarily that's going to blow it out or remove yep. that heat very easily. Yep. So, you know, that, that could be a really great option. So appreciate that, Brad. He also mentioned a few other things. Uh, he talked about a, a, a small tube of super glue, which is my oversight. I always do have that in my kill kit, in my little red dry bag in my pack. That's mm-hmm. always in there. Sometimes even two tubes of it. And uh, that's good for first aid applications, you know, uh, stitching up some cuts. If your bandages won't stick, I know Brad mm-hmm. mentioned that in his email. That's a really good point as well. Again, I carry that everywhere I go, and I just, I, I just completely overlooked it. Yep. And it's also great for gear repair. When we were in Southeast, uh, James's <laughs> hip yeah. waders tore, and I took an antler from my big buck through the neoprene sock of my yep. uh, uh, Sims waders, and we were able to use some, uh, what's the name, um, tenacious tape. Uh, some tenacious tape, and then underneath the tenacious tape, before you put the tape patch on, you put a little bit of super glue or gorilla glue or whatever you have, and uh, with some tape over that, with the super glue, that worked just fine and held together yeah. and and uh, got the waders through the hunt. That's another thing that you, you can doesn't... patch up your puffy coat, your raincoat, you know, uh, if you have a rip in your tent. So super glue is a great thing that shouldn't so leave your pack thing. either. It doesn't leave your pack as tenacious tape, right? Yeah, tenacious yeah. tape is yeah is a great repair item. Um, I was going to mention. Brad mentioned the beginning of his email. I think we mentioned this slightly. We didn't really talk about it maybe mm-hmm. much as we could have in, in the episode specifically, but that uh, survival equipment is dependent on where you're going right? and what your trip is. And that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. If you're going to, you know, if, if you're, if you're going on, if you're hunting coos deer, mm-hmm. you probably don't need, don't need that survival <laughs> candle. Yeah. Probably <laughs> right? not. I, you'd be surprised how, how cold it can get in the, down there in the in the nighttime, yeah, yeah. But, the time of year and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. that's just but just, you're not going to get when wet you're hitting from crossing a river. When, when you're hitting 115 degrees in the daytime, when it drops down to you know 60 at night, it feels very cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. but that being said, I, I think that's true of, of certain items. It seems I, like I think a lot of them, would be comfort, right? Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> where I'm at. Is it's like there's some things that just 
no matter where I go, it's always with me. Right. Yeah. You know, and so majority of what we talked about, I feel falls under that category. I, I think no matter where I'm going, I might bring different items that are beyond that list. Uh-huh. And yeah. every t- everywhere I go has items that are beyond that list. But everything, I, I would say everything we talked about, I always have on me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just, it was more of a basics thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, we can go into more in-depth area specific things at some we time. Can do that again. But yeah. um, you know, that was yeah, just a, a basics of survival. So So anyway, well thanks for writing in Brad and Thomas. If you have any questions or comments for us, email yeah. us at thenorthernhunter.com. If you go there, we will you can hit the contact us button at the top of the page and there you can send in a mess put a message there. Or if you want to just email us directly from your phone or something. It's info at the northernhunter.com. Excellent. Yep. And we will read it and do our best to get back to you. Everybody knows that one of the most important pieces of a hunter's kit is their knife. Whether you're looking for a fleshing blade, a skinning blade, or just a quality, multi-purpose knife for the backcountry, Yukon River Knives has what you need. They offer blades such as the Hunter, Small Game, and the Sendero Bush Knife. Yukon River Knives is based in Texas and has a unique mission goal in that a percentage of all knife sales go to support a missionary in Alaska. Now Dalton, you've experienced with these knives in the field. Talk to us about that. As a matter of fact, I have used a few of their knives and watched my good friend Remy use them for years with great results. They have a micarta handle that doesn't get slippery when it gets wet, and they have phenomenal edge retention for long skinning jobs. Go check out our web link on thenorthernhunter.com and that'll take you directly to Yukon River Knives website to see their full selection and order your knives for your next hunt with the discount code THENORTHERNHUNTER at checkout. And remember, nothing replaces a quality hunting knife. All right, folks, I want to take a second to tell you about a product I found this last year and have absolutely fallen in love with. It's the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. I used one on a recent black-tailed deer hunt in southeast Alaska, and it did a great job of keeping the saltwater and debris out of the action and also protecting the scope on my rifle from getting knocked around and damaged. On top of all that, the carry handle made it easy to transport the rifle to and from the boat during the hunt. When it got wet from rain and ocean spray, I hung it up at camp to dry at night, and it was always dry in 20 minutes or less. Stealthy Hunter also offers a wide variety of nutritional supplements for the outdoorsman, such as CBD oils, essential vitamins, turmeric, and bone broth. In the gear shop, they also have a lightweight first aid kit, glassing pads, and stuff sacks to organize your gear and your pack. Go check out Stealthy Hunter's website and use the code THENORTHERNHUNTER at checkout to get a discount on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. Hey guys, if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you've likely heard Dalton and I go back and forth about bullet construction. Now I like rapid expanding bonded core bullets that leave massive wound channels. I've also stated I would never use a monolithic bullet. Well, I'm here to tell you about the company that finally changed my mind. Hammer Bullets produces what I would consider the most premium and best working monolithic bullets on the market today. These bullets are designed so that after penetrating the hide of an animal, the front half of the bullet explodes, shedding its petals and imparting massive damage to the vital areas while retaining the rear shank for maximum penetration. 
effectively closing the gap between lead core and monolithic construction. The guys at Hammer designed these bullets with 100% focus on how they perform once they reach their destination. But don't let that fool you, these bullets have amazing VCs and have specialized pressure groups built in for amazing inherent accuracy. They have a minimum velocity rating of 1800 feet per second, which allows for long range shots, but have no maximum velocity, making them perfect for every cartridge from your granddaddy's old 3030 to the high velocity rounds like the Weatherby 3378 without having to worry about your bullet failing. They've also recently partnered with Weatherby to provide factory ammunition for a multitude of cartridges. To view their expansive selection and find the perfect match for your hunting needs, go to hammerbullets.com to buy yours today and drop the hammer on your next adventure. Excellent. So to get to the meat of this episode, uh-huh. so this is going to be basically all about just how Alaska breaks down its regions and what you can do in each one, basically mm-hmm. a little bit about maybe some special areas and some special seasons. Um, in direct reference to hunting. In direct reference to hunting. Correct. Okay. And so Dalton, this is kind of your brainchild. So you brought it up to us. So, yeah, so I'll the, let you the, kick it off. Yeah. This is something that I see a lot with clients uh, in, in particular in the guiding industry. Clients really don't have any idea if they haven't hunted in Alaska before. Uh, how Alaska breaks apart the state into yeah. different regions. Mm-hmm. I know in the lower 48, there are a whole lot of things that we are unfamiliar with and they feel the same way about us. I think Alaska does a great job in the regs of explaining the rules and the, um, the processes to get a particular tag and how yep. to access an area. And, uh, but I think for the most part, an out-of-stater looks at the Alaska regs and just gets overwhelmed by detail. So now arguably I will say Alaska probably has the best reg book I've ever read. The second would probably be Michigan, yeah. but Michigan's game regs are pretty, I would pretty, say pretty this, similar to Alaska's. I but would the say problem, the same, same thing, except that I, um, I haven't read very many. So that's a disclaimer <laughs> there. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is, is Alaska's regs are so detailed that it can sometimes be information overload when mm-hmm. you're trying, when you're not from the state and you don't recognize right. the river names, you don't recognize, you know, especially when you're looking at borders and, and things like that, trying to figure out exactly what part of the state you're going to be. Yeah. In. Yeah. So, so anyway, that, that's something that I have seen a lot. And my, my buddy Remy and I were talking about this and just trying to come up with some good things that should be in the podcast that, that we think is really going to be true to our, uh, our, our, plan of focus and trying mm-hmm. to help people understand how they can mm-hmm. access Alaska. Yep. Uh, it, w- whether that's furthering the knowledge that uh, you already have about it, if you already live here, or if you already hunted here before, or like this one's geared towards if you're just trying to get into it. So Alaska has what's called GMUs or game management units. And mm-hmm. if you look in the Alaska fishing game regs book for big game hunting, uh, you'll see there are what, 26? 26 total. 26 different game management yeah. units. And they vary in size quite a bit. <laughs> Greatly. By a lot. Quite a bit. It's, it's kind of like with the states, how they just get bigger as you go, like, yeah. as you go right. west. Yeah. Right? And it's kind of the same thing. You start yeah. south of Alaska and there are these tiny little units. And then. So a lot of the units, uh, well, okay, a lot of the larger units are broken down into subunits. Mm-hmm. So let's just say that you have our home unit around Fairbanks is 20B, okay, 20 Bravo. And uh, th- th- that is a subunit of unit 20. 
Yes. 20A is south of us. 20C is what? East of us? Yeah. Or no, 20C is north. Yeah. No. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you can so, tell, folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. south. Or no, it's, it's west of us. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Well, at any regard, you see what I'm talking about. There are a whole lot of different subunits, and we don't even keep up with where exactly all of them are. Yeah, it's south. We just kind of look at them as it's yeah. time yeah. for us to go to each one. But that being said, you know, one starts down in southeast around Juneau area. I'm sorry, not Juneau, down by Wrangell, isn't it? And then um, if you were there, Mo. Yeah. So one looks like Ketchikan, Ketchikan, Ketchikan area. Yeah. Okay. And then they work their way up from there. And then uh, like, okay, for instance, Kodiak is its own unit. That's Mm -hmm. unit eight. The Alaska Peninsula is largely unit nine and there's subunits like there's 9D, 9E, 9C, 9A there, 9B. And uh, so anyway, there's really no rhyme or reason to the numbering of the units necessarily. I want to I want to interject real quick. Mo is on a a map right now and we're looking at this as we're talking about Mm -hmm. it. Where did you find this map for for people that might be looking at coming in here? If if you're looking at coming to Alaska. If you Google ADFG regulations, mm-hmm. that stands for Alaska Fishing Department of Fishing Game and Regulations. You click on that, there'll be a link either to the location in Alaska you're going to look for, or just a link to the full regulations, which is what I have pulled up now, which is like, I don't know, like it's 100, 100 and some pages, 150 yep. pages, somewhere yep, around it there. Is. It always is every year. Um, anyway, and right, if you just go through all the stuff that's in there, at the beginning, right before you get into like unit one information, mm-hmm. there's a map that shows where all the units are located in Alaska. Another good way to find this is either Go Hunt or On X mm-hmm. has uh, game management units. So if you're looking around on there, you can set that as a layer mm-hmm. and yep. uh, figure out where you're, what area you're looking at. Right. Yep. And and if you're on this map that we're looking at currently on Alaska's government website, the ADFG. They break it up really nicely to look at. It is color coded and there's bold lines that tell you your actual different units. Mm-hmm. So you can zoom into one specific and then it gives you a lighter colored line that is then your subunits. And, and you'll be able to see exactly what Dalton's talking about mm-hmm. here. I, I will say the rhyme and reason seems to be east to west, south to north, if that makes sense. Like a yeah, like a reverse typewriter. Yes. Almost, yes. it looks to like me, they just like, kind of. What I meant by rhyme or reason was that there's really no reason that you should be concerned at which order they're in. Oh, correct. Yeah. There's not yeah. like a hierarchy of desirability yeah. because no. No. from one unit to the next, you could be in very well. You will be in very different, hundreds of miles apart yeah. areas in some instances. So anyway, so Alaska breaks it down into game management units. In each game management unit you have a section of the regs pertaining to that particular unit by number. Okay. Right. And, and then sub-unit. in that set of pages and, you know, two or three or four or five pages, depending on the unit or more, it will explain <laughs> yeah. the subunits per species. Mm-hmm. So for instance, let's pull up unit now, 20, Mariah, as James, James you're now, talking. Now it does it per species and then the subunits are within that. Correct. So it's not going to have some of them, I think there are a couple like 14A and B are grouped together, but 14C is separated for some right. reason now, but you're going to go to unit 20. You're going to go to black bear or moose or caribou or whatever it is that, that you're looking at. And then within that, there's going to be multiple different lines. It just looks like a 
Microsoft Excel spreadsheet, basically, right. that'll have your subunits in there. So for instance, if you look at unit 20, which is the unit that we live in here in Fairbanks, yep. the first, well, the first thing you see on the page is open to, and then it says R, which is residents only. And then it says B, which is residents and non-residents. And then it says N, non-residents only. This is at the top of the page. And it's yep. at the top yep. of the page in every unit header. Yep. Now, on the left-hand column of the regs, you'll see those letters used for coding as to what the hunt opportunities are for mm -hmm. that particular species in that particular subunit. So, for instance, the first item on the list, the first species is black bear. And it, on the far left, it says B. So that's both non-residents and residents. And then it says 20. Now, in a unit where it does not give a subunit with the unit Correct. number, that means it is all-inclusive. So yep. anywhere in unit 20, and then it says three bears. So that's black bears, non-resident or resident. In unit 20, any subunit, three bears. And then in the next column, it says HT. That stands for harvest ticket. Yep. Mm -hmm. That is uh, for a resident. You literally just print out your tags or go to yep. Fish and Game or Fred Myers or Sportsman's Warehouse or whatever you want. And you can just get your black bear tags. Right. Yeah. And then on the far right, it says no closed season. I love it when I see that. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's super handy. Yeah, so that's why I live here. So for black bear in unit 20, resident or non-resident, it's a harvest ticket hunt, and you can shoot three bears, no closed season. Yep. Now, I should also clarify while we're talking about this, the regulatory hunting years in Alaska. Are weird. They shift per... It's, it's, it's the same except for bears, basically. Uh, and trapping. Trapping's a little weird. Yeah. But so, everything else is the same. So the hunting regulatory year in Alaska is from July 1st to June 30th. So it's a calendar year that begins and ends with the end of June, the beginning of July. Right. So that is when your tags That's expire. Expire. Not for all of them. Almost all of them. Okay. If you shoot a black bear. Your harvest tickets. For bear. That's what I'm talking about here. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. It, I, I thought you meant all in all species no okay you can get your moose tag in february and it's good for that year right but that's what i was okay. getting to yeah i should have clarified yes so okay i said black bear let's talk about this then let's use it this way if you live in an area like ours is in unit 20 and uh, you get one grizzly bear per regulatory year okay and you shoot a grizzly bear in may let's just say of 2023 if mm. you shoot a, if you shoot a grizzly bear this spring obviously in season yeah then you can also shoot another one this fall Correct. even though you're only in a one bear per year unit yep. yep the hunt year turns over on july 1st yes so as soon as grizzly bears come back open on september 1st in 20a or 20b uh you're able to shoot another grizzly bear however if you shoot a grizzly bear in the fall, you yep. are then ineligible in that unit of one bear per year <laughs> to shoot one the following the spring. spring. I, yeah. I really want to talk to somebody about why it's set up that way too. It might just be so people can come up here, you know, or, or so residents or however, I don't know. Some reason they thought it was a good idea to be able to hunt in the same fall, spring and fall in the same year. But then obviously that messes up your spring. But then, and if, year. But then if I see one during, during moose season, now it screws up my baiting season. And there are a lot of so, guys that think that way. 
Yeah. But so you can't shoot three bears. No, I'm not. I'm talking grizzly for, okay, for grizzly. Right. If I see a grizzly while I'm out caribou hunting, mm-hmm. I can then not shoot one at the bait next year if it comes in. So I, if, yeah. you, if you know why that's the case, let me know. It's been so, an annoyance for a long at time. At any rate, that's kind of a general breakdown of one species and how that, uh, how that system and that, and that special coding works. Now, let's jump into the next thing. Let's talk about um, uh, hunt opportunities. So mm-hmm. there are HT, which stands for harvest ticket. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's in the permit and hunt number column. And then you'll see something that starts with an R. Some of these hunts have an no. R at the beginning of a number. Real quickly. Okay, I want to interject here. So if you go scroll up a little bit, Mo. So if you go to the bottom of any of these columns we're talking about, so you mm-hmm. go to unit 20, you're going to see black bears, grizzlies, bison, and so on. Directly underneath that format, it's going to mm-hmm. explain this to you. And, and that's where you would go to look to find all of this, what, what Dalton's talking about here. Okay. So if you look in the hunt permit number, in the second column over from the right, you'll see, okay, so for instance, I'm looking at caribou for 20A. This is on page what of the regs, Mariah, scroll down? So 109. Page, page 109. Okay. <laughs> so at the top of the column, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, uh, the, the third letter down. Uh, it's the column labeled permit slash hunt number. Yes. Permit slash hunt number. The third line down a second column from the right, it says RC860. Okay. That stands for registration caribou and the hunt number is 860. Yep. Now I believe that's a 40 mile hunt. Is that right? The uh, RC860. Uh, I think 860 is the fall caribou hunt. I believe uh, that's no. correct. Yes, yeah, yes, yes it is. Yes, yes, RC860 okay. is a 40 mile. It, yep. So at any rate, registration hunts are different from harvest tickets. They are. And how so, James? So with registration hunts, basically, it's the same in harvest tickets in the sense that anybody that's accessible to a harvest ticket is able to get one. So if you're... Are they free? If you're... They are free, actually. So if you're able to go... Let, let's say you're a resident and you can just go get your moose ticket at Sportsman's or wherever. Mm-hmm. You can go to Fish and Game and get your registration. You already qualify. There's no special qualifications for those. But because they are a different process of how they maybe manage that herd specifically. Mm-hmm. Right. They don't want to give out just unlimited right. a number of harvest tickets because Fair, or, uh, Alaska does not have a limited number of tags that they give out. It's you show up and you get your moose tag pretty much. There's not a race to, or a race to get them like there are in some lower 48 states for elk tags and things like that. Okay. So, but with registration tags, it's because they want to limit the number of opportunity to take out of this herd. Mm-hmm. It's like for the 40 mile hunt. <laughs> when that herd's on the road, if there was unlimited tags, mm-hmm. man, that, that herd wouldn't last two years. I mean, it would be insane. So what they do is they limit the number of tags and you have to actually go to ADFG, their main office, and print it out. You can do it online too. Mm-hmm. If, you have, if you have access to a printer, mm-hmm. you can go to the yep. ADFG website yep. and do it. You don't have to do it in person. I'm just a, a personable individual. So you go in there, you get your tag, and that's pretty much it at that point. Other than that, it's the same as a harvest ticket. You'll notch that tag. It's going to have the same notching system as any other tag that you'll get but there's usually an extra requirement involved so right. like like with the 40 mile hunt they have been requiring the last several years kind of intermittently um or a requirement to bring in a four inch segment of the lower jaw mm-hmm. and that's not and that's i don't some, even think that's necessarily that's some years not all right years. that's what i meant kind right. of intermittently and, and all that's for is they're just studying th- this herd you know and so you just have to bring that in 
they're not, you're not required to seal the hide or anything like that or bring the, you can literally drop it off when the office is closed. They have a box around back. And, but yeah, so that's per, the purpose of registration hunts is just for them to have a, an extra step in the management of that herd. If they decided to limit the, the number of animals they want to take in at any yeah. given time. The registration permits give Alaska Department of Fish and Game a little bit more insight into what's going on. A little more insight, and a little more control. You're right, right. And yeah. so registration permits can be closed suddenly and without warning. And it is your responsibility yes. to uh, have a way to know if they close or not. Yep. Even if you're in the field, yep. you need to have access to some information, mm-hmm. whether you have an inreach that you text back home and ask someone to call the caribou hotline for the 40 mile herd since we're talking about that yeah they can call the hotline and hear if the troopers close it or i'm sorry if fishing game close it or not there is also uh like you guys mentioned the four inch lower jaw uh, sample that has to be brought in that's been the last couple of years for the 40 mile hunt that's because of uh fear of overgrazing and the the herd is going to crash and they're being overhunted or the predator levels are too high or whatever their reason is. I don't really know. I don't think it's anybody studies. really should, knows about it, but we can, get, we can get, get a guy in here to talk about it one of these days. So. Yeah. But it, what, what, a, what a registration permit also does is they give you a deadline to report your tag. Yes. yes. Success or failure. And it's a much tighter deadline. Right. And the reason is a lot of registration permit hunts are not infinite numbers of harvest allowable there are a lot of registration permit hunts where if you kill x number of animals out of this you know uh let's just say again the 40 mile caribou herd if their quota is 500 animals as you kill an animal for the 40 mile hunt i believe it's three days to report a successful harvest yep so if you shoot a caribou You've got to report and file your hunt report online or in person or mail in your report within three days yep. of successful harvest. If you are and unsuccessful, it has to be within what? I believe it's 10 days of close of season. Yes. I so, think that's correct. I learned and, a little bit and about this. If, <laughs> and if you, if, if, you don't, if you don't report an unsuccessful harvest within 10 days of the end of the season date or within 10 days of them shutting it down by emergency order, then you can be penalized by not being eligible the following calendar year for any registration permits. Now, and to be fair, the, there is one exception and I only bring this up because it happened to me. I got, and this was actually on a draw tag, not a registration tag, but on the, on the concept of, of closing hunts early, I was drawn for the Nilchina herd tag years ago. And it was in the year that they, which is a caribou out. It, it's a caribou hunt. Yes, it's a, it's a caribou herd that's on the it's the south side of the Alaska south range. Side, south of us, but it's still fairly north, I guess. But yeah, but it's, it, they dance around the Alaska range, and so they, I believe that year they gave out two thousand tags, and yeah. a week before opening, they announced that due to emergency closure or due to emergency order, they were going to shut it down after the first two hundred and fifty were reported. Now, everybody freaked out and everybody's wondering what the heck, because typically with that tag, you have from August 10th till March 31st, mm-hmm. because it's your tag. You have, there's 2,000 of them. You just go get your caribou whenever you want. Now, 
the troopers did make an exception on that one that there was not going to be a closure for the first three days. Mm-hmm. That way people could go out there maybe that didn't have an inReach or a way to get back to people and they didn't mm-hmm. have to check in every single day to see if it was open. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a risk they were willing to take that for those three days, they didn't expect 250 to be taken. Yeah. And I don't think there were. I think it stayed open for like two weeks or something. That particular year, my brother had drawn one of those permits as well. Mm-hmm. And that hunt actually stayed open for like two and a half, three weeks. Did it really? After okay. I got back from sheep hunting, early August, it was still open. Mm. And I said, well, let's just go down there and go hike in and shoot one. And we did. And and that was was one of the last weekends that it did stay open, but there was a very low harvest number that year. It it was. But so that being said, that's how registration permits are. That is what R means at the beginning of a hunt number. If it's not HT for harvest ticket, it's either going to have an R at the beginning of it usually, or there's another common one, which is the number starts with D. And I say the number starts with D, you know what I mean? (laughs) So for instance, you'll see something to the effect of, let's go down to sheep in, uh, in, in unit 20. Interesting here. Sheep in unit 20. And so the top column is within toke management area, one ram with full curl horn or larger every four regulatory years by permit. And this is for both non-residents and residents. Mm -hmm. The hunt number is DS 102. And then it gives the season dates. So D is draw. And then a lot of times at, uh, after the D or in registration after the R, if it's RC, it's registration caribou. Yep. If it's RM, it's registration so moose. So what does the S stand for? Hey, okay. There we go. Yes, oh, but, okay. yes, but there, there are very few <laughs> registrations. Stick with this, Mo. <laughs> I know, I'm just... Well, in this one, we're talking about... Yes. Yeah. So for this particular one, we're talking about a draw sheep, and then this hunt number is 102. That's for the token mm-hmm. management area. Now, we're going to kill two birds with one stone here. You ready for this? We're going to talk about draws, and we're also going to talk about the token management area and speak about a management area. So first, we're going to hit on draws, but first, James has a point. I wanted to to just mention one thing as we're talking about this section of the permits. Okay. The the difference between resident and non-resident, if you're looking at this, typically has to do with restrictions, added restrictions. Mm -hmm. For instance, a lot of areas, if you look at certain regions for moose, maybe it's a uh, any bull area for residents, Spike Fork 54 Browtine for non-residents. Or mm-hmm. in some cases, when we were looking at, uh, I forget what it was, if it was, it was bears or bison. Oh, no, it was the bison. Bison for residents is one tag by, by draw permit yeah. every 10 regulatory years. Right. So you right. and I could draw that tag today. We can wait 10 years, put in for it again, draw it again. Yeah. Whereas with resident or non-resident, it's once in a lifetime tag. Right. Yeah. So right. that's really where the breakdown there gets it. Right. We had talked right. on the restriction section of it, but mostly that's the difference is, is restrictions. Correct. So, so, uh, so draws in Alaska. Yep. Let's just talk about draws for a second. Hmm. The draw system for Alaska is unlike most anything else that you'll see in the low 48. It's a completely, and I say this with air quotes, random draw system. That's what, it's, that's what they say. They say it's yeah, random. I know some people that have drawn some stuff where I don't think it's so random. They have to know some politicians <laughs> somewhere. <but laughs> I think nobody's that lucky. <laughs> I think it's random, but there are a lot of opinions contrary to that. We'll leave that one alone. But that being said, Alaska does have a draw system mm-hmm. where a highly coveted tag, or if it's in, uh, Let's just say it's for sheep. You know, there are some certain areas in the Chugach Mountains down outside of Anchorage 
that uh, that that are shut down to hunting, with the mm-hmm. exception of like one sheep permit per drainage, you mm-hmm. know, for a certain area. Uh, they'll they'll really restrict that down. Now, um, for for what we're talking about here in uh, in sheep hunting with twenty D on page one twelve of the regs, the top column. I'm sorry, the top line is the toke management area. This is not like a national park or national preserve type of area that's giving out one or two tags. Mm-hmm. This is a unit where it is technically over the counter access per se. Uh, okay, so for instance, you can go hunt bears and toke. You, you can yes. go walk into this area, but you're not able to use motorized access. Correct. Within a certain date uh, parameter. We'll yep, just say right. it that way. So if you scroll back up to the top of unit 20, it'll give you a breakdown of each individual restriction area that you'll see throughout the pages pertaining, pertaining to unit 20. So the toke management area is under topic 17 on page, what's this page number? 107. 107. So it says, uh, it, it gives the boundary specifications. And then it says at the bottom, this area is open to sheep hunting by permit only. Uh, hang on here. Doesn't it talk about controlled use? Maybe it, not. It, so it depends you know on what? the management area. You know what? You might be able to take a four-wheeler in the yeah. management area. So there's management areas I might have been totally all over wrong the state. About that. And, and certain management areas, yes. and they, they tend to be tied to a town. Like there's the Fairbanks management area. There's yeah. the Toke management area. And some of them are. There, and there are several that are not tied to towns necessarily. Right. But basically, these are sections. They're subunits within a subunit, basically. Yeah. They are... They are an area that maybe had an extra amount of pressure at one point and they're trying to recover a, a, a certain population or maybe they just don't want, maybe there's tundra that they don't want messed up by four wheelers. So they added an extra regulation that in this particular area between this river and this ridge, you cannot ride your four wheeler. Right. And so a lot of you have to look deeper than just the unit and the subunit even sometimes yeah. depending on the exact area you're going to end up yes. in. A lot of controlled use areas and restricted areas and management areas that are labeled as such mm-hmm. are managed like that to provide high trophy quality animals. Yeah. So the the unit that I was thinking of when I talked about toke, I was wrong about that. You can take a four-wheeler into the toke management area. And I know someone that's done it and mm-hmm. that's killed a ram that way. Um, I was confusing that with the Delta controlled use area, which oh, yes, if yeah. you read through the boundaries of it, this is item mm-hmm. 13 on page 107. At the bottom of that paragraph, it says this area is closed to any motorized vehicle or pack animal for big game hunting, including the transportation of big game hunters, their hunting gear and or parts of big game from August 5th through 25th. And then it talks about how it does not it, it does not inhibit uh, motorized access to the area for hunting or transportation of game on the Richardson Highway, which is the highway that dissects that unit, mm-hmm. or the use of aircraft at the. And then we're going to blank out the name of the airstrip <laughs> because <laughs> Do I, your I don't want to be too people. specific. If you want to yes. look it up, you can read it for yourself. Now to tell you how serious they are about that non-motorized access. Yes. Or is that's the only part of the whole thing that's in bold lettering so they yes. really want you to pay attention so <laughs> that's they, the point they, of a there, lot of these management yeah, yes, areas there is. are a plethora of motorized access options into the mm-hmm. delta controlled use area that are completely legal after 
after August 25th that you can use for hunting. If you're going to go moose hunting or sheep hunting, if you draw the later season permit Mm -hmm. that that the season is for September, you can ride a four-wheeler into some of those areas if if you desire and access that region that way. But a controlled use area is a further regulation, like you Mm -hmm. said, on top of your other regulations that you have to normally consider. Yep. So not only is the Delta controlled use area a draw permit, but it's also restricted access. Which now, now they do have both, don't they? Isn't there a motorized and not motorized correct. in the Delta? The August yeah. permit yeah. is a non-motorized, obviously, right. because yep. the controlled use and the September tag, the, the later tag, yep. you can use Falls motorized access, time period. Right, right? Because it's accessed in September. Yep. So yeah, you don't. You not only need to look for the you know you find the sheep. You find the you find the area you want to hunt in. You you know you find the animal you want to hunt. You figure out where you want to hunt it. Yep. Then you need to look at where you want to hunt it. Yeah. And, you know, and you figure out okay, it's open at this time. Now, where is this? What's what are my options? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes you have to go through a controlled use area mm-hmm. to get somewhere. Yes. An yeah. area you're hunting isn't. So if you can find a way around that. Yep. You know, this particular the Delta controlled use area, it's non motorized, non pack animal. You know. Uh, a, a bicycle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if if you can find a good you know a hiking trail or something that mm-hmm. a bicycle yep. will ride down that's know, a good option or that. pack raft mm-hmm. i've known guys to do that into there yep or they hike in with a pack rift go go kill a sheep and then hike down put it in the pack raft and float out yeah um and some of these non-motorized areas do allow pack animals and so yeah. if some you're looking do. for yeah. a guide hunt, there are several yes. guides that hunt in these areas that use horses yes and that would be super cool the wood river controlled use area mm-hmm. down outside of healy uh where uh, a very yeah, well-known guide uh, coke wallace yep midnight sun safaris yep. and he's been running down there since i believe the 80s and he's got a horseback operation where he guides down there and has a nice big uh nice big operation that goes on there nobody's in there riding four-wheelers nobody's yep. in there landing airplanes in crazy places it's an access by foot or horse only i mean yep. it, it's it's a very remote area and that is a huge controlled use area so that's somewhere where you'd have to get you know you'd have to get a horse or mm-hmm. just walk a long ways and you know that, that that's that's a great way of looking at it if you're hunting on foot and you find an area that's an over-the-counter permit for, say, a moose or, yep. uh, say, uh, a doll sheep or even if you just want to spring bear hunt. Yep. If the area is a controlled-use area and restricted access where people aren't, people aren't able to use motorized access to get in there and you're willing to walk, mm-hmm. that's a great advantage it if is. you're willing to do it. Now, I wouldn't recommend you do that with moose hunting. <laughs> that's a good way to end up <laughs> crippled. <laughs> but, you know, Take for, 10 years off your life. But, uh, you know, for a lot of other species, for caribou, sheep, bears, and so on yeah. and so forth, that could be a potentially good option to look at when you're going through the regs and, and, and trying to sift through the hunt opportunities. And the, and the big reason I think this is a huge advantage and, and a good thing, I actually believe this is a good thing, is because... Controlled use areas? Yeah. Okay. There's a general... <laughs> I'm not going to say it's a general rule, but there's a general understanding in Alaska that if you can get a wheeler on it, you will get a wheeler on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you try to do this happened to me just this last year if you're trying to hunt do a still hunting style and you're just trying to go somewhere and be stealthy and quiet down this trail and then some guy rides up behind you on a wheeler Mm -hmm. and completely blows the area out yeah 
I mean, it is just the most an- annoying and heartbreaking thing that can happen when you've put in hours to get into somewhere. So that or missing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's pretty bad. But, you know, the uh, yeah. So if you're looking, if you're specifically wanting to get on foot off the road system and yeah. get out somewhere, these are a great opportunity. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if yeah. you do run into somebody else, they're probably just like you. So I'm not going to go into any kind of detail on controlled use areas that I may or may not have hunted in the past <laughs> number of years, but let's just say I've utilized yeah. many different controlled use areas yeah. for multiple different species. Yep. And because I'm willing to just sweat and just get farther away from the road than a lot of people are, yeah. I've had some pretty great success yeah. with multiple different species. Now, and again, I'm going to leave that at that. But <laughs> type of area in mm-hmm. a unit. So yeah, you have units, you have subunits, have management areas, controlled use areas, and corridors. Mm-hmm. The corridor. Let's talk There's about that. There's multiple corridors, though. There yes. are. Yes. Um, so talk to us about the main corridor that we're all corridor thinking of right now. Is the, the Dalton corridor. Highway. Uh, the Dalton Highway corridor. Yes. Is there, I don't know if there's another word in there or yeah. not, but uh, the Dalton Highway Corridor starts at the Yukon River, mm-hmm. and it is con- goes all the way north on the Dalton Highway. So let me back this up a little bit. There is a road that yes. goes <laughs> from Fairbanks all the way up to Prudhoe Bay on yep. the northern coast miles. of Alaska. 500-mile road. And, uh, well, okay. It's about 500 miles. I think the actual Dalton highway is like 416. So, so the, so a hundred of it's paved from, yeah. from Fairbanks. You leave on the Elliott highway. Correct. And, and you, actually, go, you leave on the Steese. You end up on the Elliott right out of Fairbanks. You go about 80 miles on the Elliott mm-hmm. to live and good. And from there it's yeah. 416 live miles. And or good is the junction that yes. you can either turn left and keep on going over to the other village so, over there, or you can, continue north and hit the Dalton Highway and that goes 416 up to Prudhoe. So it's right at 500 miles. This is a good point for people that aren't familiar with the state. Maybe you're new or just looking at coming up here, but Alaska does this annoying thing where a road will take a sharp turn, 90 degree turn, and it's the same road, but if you go straight, you're actually on a different road. Yes. It, it's all over the place. Well, that happens to, in Fairbanks. Yeah. It happens out of Fairbanks. It's it happens the last in the boonies. frontier. I like yeah. it that way. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, yeah. What they're talking about is there's a point there where the, the actual road you were on turns a sharp and goes out towards some other villages. And then the road that, that you're on changes. And, and the, the road that you're, you're on Correct. changes if you just stay straight and just Correct. keep going. And so. So on the Dalton Highway, if you follow that eventually, you'll get up to the Yukon River Bridge. Yeah. Which that's exactly what it sounds like it is. Crosses the Yukon River. It's but a big the, bridge. But big the Yukon River, the Yukon River is also the boundary for use of firearms in a five-mile corridor to the Dalton Highway from the Yukon River Bridge all the way up from there. So the Dalton Highway exists for what purpose originally? Uh, Oil. Oil, because Mm -hmm. Prudhoe is the main producer of oil. Now, originally, did you guys know this, that they were not originally going to make the Dalton Highway public use? Yeah, I I had read that. It was originally supposed to just be for oil. There's actually a really cool area right there at the bridge, or actually it's just past the bridge off of the right side where it gives yep. you a lot of history about it. So if you ever do make it up that way, make sure you actually take, stop, take a stop. It's and, a Dalton and Highway Visitor Center, place for t- tourists to go where hunters who aren't from here say, to get, out, yeah, get off the exactly. road. Yeah. Yeah. Say, you usually, go over there and we'll, keep, we'll kill the animals. Yeah. <laughs> usually I blow right past that just, spot yeah. of the road. Well, you've also been... Go- yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, I've been, I've been <laughs> up and down that road for about as long as I can remember. I have driven the road all the way 
from top to bottom and bottom to top many, many times. So without going into detail about why. <laughs> uh, okay. So from the bridge up, yeah, that is a no gun zone, no gun hunting zone. Yeah. Anywhere within a five mile distance from the road on either side. So if you go off the road in a you know directly straight stretch and then you walk due northeast for about five miles, but you don't know that the road does a dog leg about a mile yeah. up from where <laughs> you parked, you're not five miles off the yeah. road. So on X Maps and I believe Go Hunt Maps they as do. well they have it, yeah. has the has the five mile corridor marked on your satellite yeah. map imagery. So that's a great way Use if, you, it. if you're walking <laughs> off the road five miles to go, you know, try to shoot a caribou or something mm-hmm. like that, and you and you want to shoot it with a rifle, then you've got to be outside that five mile corridor. There's also it's no motorized also, access. Correct. Yep. I was just going to say that it's also non-motorized. So you can't just run up there with a four wheeler. Yeah. And you can't use a gun inside the corridor. So nope. what's the most popular method of hunting inside the corridor, Mariah? What? Oh, inside the corridor. Sorry. Yeah. Well, obviously on foot. Um, bow hunt. Bow hunting. Yeah. Yep. Correct. So in the last few and years, was, we've that, seen a so. huge, we've seen a huge uptick in outdoor media people coming up to Alaska, driving up the Hall Road yep. in a U-Haul or something mm-hmm. like that, and doing a do-it-yourself or a DIY caribou bow hunt. And that's an affordable way to come yep. up to Alaska and have an over-the-counter permit. It's a harvest ticket hunt. Yes. Uh, I believe it's also registration in some places. Is it not? I, it depends on which area you're in. Yeah. And but, so the Dalton Highway yeah, also intersects multiple different game management units. It does. A lot of game so management units. A lot of them. Do your research. This, yeah. yeah. As we said, this road is 400 plus miles long and not all of it has caribou. Mainly the northern what? third or two thirds i would say the northern half okay so the northern section of road is where a lot of these guys are doing their caribou hunts mainly north of the brooks most, range i'd say now, most of the caribou hunts are done in the last third to quarter yeah uh, is where you're yeah. going to see most of that yeah now south of the bridge there are caribou too but that's that's it. including the yes, quarter correct. that is that is outside the south of region. the yukon that is a different yeah. uh, hunt altogether yep so um north of the brooks range is what we call the North Slope. Mm-hmm. And that is a giant, flat, wet, desert <laughs> wasteland of Alaska. <laughs> I love that, it. That, that is a very, very unique place of the state. Yeah. It, 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 and if you haven't been there and you want to go there and you live in Alaska, you should just drive up there sometime and just see it in August. And if you don't like bugs, don't get out of your vehicle because they'll just, <laughs> they'll just about carry your truck off with you in it. The, the state bird mosquito is strong and alive and well up there. Anyway, though, so the North Slope is where a lot of these bow hunts take place for for yep. do-it-yourself caribou hunters. That is a that that is that is a like I said, an increasingly popular do-it-yourself hunt for non-residents mm-hmm. that don't want to have to pay for a guide. They can kind of do their hunt at their own pace. You just yep. spot and stalk from the road. Now you cannot shoot on from or across a drivable surface. Correct. So you can't hunt and shoot from the road or across it or you know anything on the road yeah so which is if, you're, it, if yes. you're bow hunting that's extremely unlikely anyways, correct not impossible right. it's not it's not unheard of you'd, but, you'd be especially with caribou yeah. you're on one side of the road yeah. a lot of times you're hunting caribou and you're using the road because that's the only as thing cover. Yeah. Right. they can't yeah. They yeah. Can, so you use it as cover then you got to cross yeah sometimes yeah. that's your only yeah. terrain feature to hide behind so anyway so uh, we were talking about draws. Mm. So the Alaska draw system is 
again in air quotes, completely random draw. There's no point system. There is no point system like there is in a lot of the lower 48 uh, states. So what is your draw application deadline, Mariah, every year? What, December 15th? It's December 15th at 5.30 p.m. Yeah, it's a weird time. I don't know why it's not midnight. It is not not midnight. (laughs) And a lot, I'm sure there are many heartbroken individuals. Anyone that didn't put in for a a tag this year, I warned you. I gave you the heads up in the episode beforehand. If you hadn't found our podcast yet. We understand. If you hadn't listened to the episode, though, (laughs) better luck next time. (laughs) Yes. So that being said, uh, the the draw hunt application deadline is December 15th. Now it opens what a, a, a good while before that. I, I think it's, yes, it's it opens November 1st. I want to yeah, say I, I it, thought it was November 1st. I, I can verify that when really you can fast, start applying for tags. It is November 1st through December 15th. OK, so you have, you know, a month and a half. Yeah. To uh, do your homework. Well, I mean, really, you have all year to do your homework. I mean, what am I saying? Mm -hmm. But you have a month and a half to get it done and put in your applications. They're usually five bucks per application. You get six applications per species, and you can split those up on different particular hunt applications. You can go as many as you want. You can go one per hunt for six different draws. Or you can put all your eggs in one basket like I do. Yep. You know, if I'm going to go in, I'm going to go in. That's, that's just, my strategy, too. I'm throwing too. my chips on the table. I'm just going to go for it. I've tried the whole two here, two there, yeah. one there, one here. I don't here, know one like... single person that's ever drawn <laughs> a tag in history that's split up their applications ever. like that, ever. Anybody I know that draws any permits on a regular basis is like, yeah. oh, yep, I put in all six for that cheap tag and I got it. <laughs> well, okay, there you go. So, oh, no, go ahead. Sorry. Anyway, I'll wait. so I was going to say... December 15th is a cutoff. And then, unlike a lot of lower 48 states, at least mm-hmm. that I'm aware of, we have a pretty quick turnaround for heartache. We do. It's actually coming up. February yeah. the 17th, I believe, yep. is so I- Alaska Heartache Day. <laughs> 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 Which, as Fish and Game calls it, Draw Results Day. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's the day that they release all the draw. Results. That's the day you find out how much money you donated you get, to the state. <laughs> you get to look up your name and see how you got nothing. And then you look up your friend's name or some yeah, popular Alaskan, well-known Alaskan yeah. who's got five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yep, exactly. Yep. So I, I remember last year, uh, our friend Tyler Friel did an episode on draw day. <laughs> he, he and Frank had drawn, he and his hunting partner, Frank had party drawn this very highly coveted cheap tag. And one of them, after they looked up their results, they said, they said to the other guys in the podcast, you're dead to me. <laughs> but that's how it feels to draw an ultra high coveted tag in Alaska. It's because just like, yeah. we just don't know what that's like. Just yeah. like the bison tags. I mean, yeah. And that's, and that's kind of the almost the thing that sucks about the whole nope. You know, I'm very grateful that there is a no point system here. Yeah. But at the same time, I know people that put in for that bison tag for 20 years. Yeah. And, yeah. and the reality of it is your chances this year are most no time, better than any of your chances in the years prior. You know, I haven't put in for draw tags for two or three years. This year, it just it just didn't happen. It wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of stuff happening and I didn't have time. Um, uh, time and funds and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, uh, last there was, I don't know if it was last year and the year before both of them, I was like, Oh, December 15th, you know, somebody sent me a text. Don't forget to draw, put in draw tags. I'm like, okay, I got all day. And you know, I get home at six and yep. I, I, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. and so for those times, so for like next year, mm-hmm. I'll be real glad. Oh yeah. There's no point system. Yeah, right? exactly. You know, I got just so much chance yeah. anybody else. But at the same time I did 
put in, I have put in a lot and it's like, yeah, yeah. I, I've got mixed feelings. You know, when I hear somebody say on a podcast in lower 48, yeah, man, I finally just put all my points toward this one hunt I really wanted to do when I knew I could do it and got this hunt. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. That'd you know, be, okay. But the years leading up to that now, you yes. know, it, there, yeah, there's pros I, I and there's cons. I and agree. so I now, uh, to me, I look at it from a mathematical standpoint. If you have a random draw opportunity every single year and you've put in it for 20 years, odds are the application or that the applicant's number is likely higher now than it was when you started for the yeah. majority of hunts. More folks are putting in. Yeah. Every year you have, okay, let's just say it this way. If you have, you're going to put in one application and there are 5,000 applicants. Yeah. Okay. You have a one in 5,000 chance 10 years ago. You have a one in 5,000 chance nine years ago. Mm. (laughs) And we can go on and on with this math. And on the back of the sheet. They just, do give you those. Just because you put in for so many years does not mean that you have a better chance every every year after right, that. Yeah. You know, it, it's a random start from scratch draw yep. every single year. Supposedly. Allegedly. Now, I'm sticking with that <laughs> until I see otherwise, now, you know. Now, you know. Anyway. And, yeah. So. That being said, if you are scrolling through the regulations and you see a D at the beginning of a hunt number. Well, that's where we're at. That's right. Yeah. Correct. (laughs) If you see that it's a draw hunt, you can look into that and, you know, at at the next draw application period, you can submit your applications for that. Yep. Now, and this is what I raised my hand and I was going to talk about earlier, but decided to wait, is if you're the next person, or if you're looking at coming up here for a hunt and you're looking at these, if you see a T, Yes. Especially if you live in a city, a, a town that has a grocery store or anything like that, and that isn't super rural or you're a non-resident, especially ignore it. It doesn't apply. What to does you. T stand for? The T stands for tier hunt and tier hunt is subsistence. It they have a tier tier two. Sure. At <laughs> Just, just I was saying. just going to say tier because it doesn't apply to the people that are, that are <laughs> okay. unless you right. live in that area now. And, and we've talked about this a little bit before with the tier one and the tier two subsistence hunts. And there's different requirements for each one, but mm-hmm. all of them basically require you to live in a very rural area where you're going to have access to a specific herd mm-hmm. or a specific animal within that region that they, they don't want other people taking. When, when we have the option to go north, south, east, west, we can go wherever yes. we want. Yes. Some of these people that live in these areas don't have that option. Right. So it's a specific hunt designated for these people in this for region. Subsistence that have, users. You know, maybe they don't have, you know, the ability to drive their truck somewhere because they're yeah. a flight only area, right. you know, or something like that. Right. So now not all rural areas have these, but if you see this in the regulations and you're just looking to come up for a DIY hunt or something like that, or you're a, a, a GI at any of these these bases or you're just a regular resident of Fairbanks or Anchorage or any of these towns, just look on. <laughs> you know, it, yes. it, don't, don't let that clutter the regulations Correct. for you. And so. I have one more thing to say uh, that there are a few hunts where the hunt number and, and uh, um, uh, designation will not have a direct letter correlation to the species. Uh, that, that there are some hunts that begin with a Y or uh, that's or, a, so a Y is a youth. Right. Right. But this one says YM and it's for bison. What does that mean? That's what I'm saying. Okay. There are some that don't correlate. For the majority, 
DS is draw sheep, you know, right, RM yeah. is R moose, you know, and so on and so forth. But there are a few that are different. But, but anyways, as a general rule of thumb. Now, that being said, let's jump into our next thing, which is non-resident opportunities for all different species. There are a few species as a non-resident that you are not allowed to come up to the state and hunt without a guide. So you next of kin who is resident. Correct. So if you don't have any relatives in Alaska and any next of kin qualifying relatives, and you can look that up in the regs and see what they qualify as next of kin and they spell it out black and white. (laughs) You can't be having no third cousins come up and, and, you know, call them next of kin and and be their acting guide. Can can I say one thing real quick? Go for it. So to that point of them being very specific with that. And one thing I appreciate about these, these, regs is they are so specific yes now with that the reason they're so specific is because they're very well enforced for the most part and this is a big and state it's a big state yeah. but because they're so specific ignorance is not an excuse on yeah. anything so if you're i know that the book can look intimidating it's what 200 pages or something like that we talked about it earlier but 150 or something 144 144 i was close <laughs> But it looks intimidating. There's a lot of long paragraphs in this thing. But if you don't read it, ignorance is not an excuse if for you getting away with something. Yeah. So just exactly. if you come up and you're trying to do a DIY hunt like Dalton's about to talk about, and you're in an area or going after an animal that you weren't supposed to, or maybe you have your buddies, your, your, your stepbrother's second cousin. <laughs> I don't know if that <laughs> counts. No, you know, it doesn't. But, oh, no. But like, you know, and, and you're, oh, I didn't know that. They're not going to take that as an excuse. So right. make sure you're reading. Right. This. So that's all I yes, wanted to say. Exactly. So there are a few species of animals that directly require a non-resident to have a guide for a particular hunt in Alaska. And by guide, I mean a registered outfitter or master guide yep. with an operation that you sign a contract and pay for a hunt under a registered outfit. Those animals are doll sheep, mountain goats, and brown bear slash grizzly bear. Now, that's it, huh? I, I believe hmm. so. I Interesting. Believe that's yeah. yeah, that's cool. It. So that being said, it's the white animals. <laughs> Brown bears aren't white. Brown yeah, but there's a lighter colored side of <laughs> there's polar bears in the state. Yeah, but you can't hunt polar bears. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, if, 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 you're, if you're not an indigenous person, then you can't hunt polar bears in Alaska. We just want to clarify that. Yeah. Politically correct. Correct. Nice. Yes. Thank you very much. Well done. Why, thank you. So that being said, if you have the desire to come to Alaska and hunt brown bears or doll sheep or mountain goat, or grizzly bears in the interior, mm-hmm. you have to have a registered guide for the hunt. Now that is due to, with sheep and goats, it's due to two things. It's difficulty and technicality of terrain mm-hmm. and the, the danger involved with where they live and how to get at them. And particularly with sheep, it's to do with the legality of the take of an animal. So if you're not familiar with what makes a doll sheep legal, number one, Go reference our, what, episode 10, yes. I believe it was, was just of the podcast that. where we went into great detail about what a, <laughs> what a doll it sheep... Was, it was episode 10, I can tell you that. What, sure. a, uh, what a legal doll sheep means, how it gets there, how to judge it. But guess what? 
you don't have to do that if you're on a guided hunt. Yeah. Your guide does that for you. You the, just have to listen to the guide when yes, he tells you. Listen to the guide. <laughs> yeah. The next thing you should do is go study the outlines and the uh, the, the the supplied photographs provided by Fish and Game in the same handbook that we were talking about here. Mm-hmm. So that's why sheep require a guide. That's why goats require guides. Now, goats don't have to be full curl. Mm. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> they don't get there. That would but be a big the goal. reason that brown bears require a guide is it is a dangerous game species. Yes. There is great potential for injury if you screw that up. And there are a lot of non-residents that, I mean, yeah, that they, they need to have a guide. Now, there's that, a lot of residents that need to have a guide. <laughs> a lot of residents that shouldn't hunt, but that, that, yeah. I think that applies in every state. But at any rate, those animals require you to have a guide for your hunt. So that being said, you can hunt caribou, you can hunt moose, mm. you can hunt sick of black-tailed deer. You can, I mean, you can even hunt, what, muskox and bison if you want, if, if yeah. you draw a tag yeah. as a non-resident without a guide. So there are multiple different big game options that you can come to Alaska for as a non-resident, as long as it's not a draw permit. You know, if, if, if you're just looking for an easy, low point of entry to come into the state and hunt as a non-resident and you don't have the money for a guide and so on and so forth, yep. you can come up here and do a do-it-yourself float hunt and just hire a transporter to just go fly you out and drop you off and then arrange for a pickup. Yeah. You can do a float hunt for moose and caribou. You can drive up the hall road and do a caribou hunt, which I would say don't have high expectations for that at all. No. You're probably not going to shoot a monster. Give yourself some time. Yeah. Give yourself yeah. like 10 days. And it's a harsh place. I, yes. When I was in the military stationed here at it's Wainwright. It's going to be a steep learning curve. I knew it was a group of five guys and they all went up there. They were light infantrymen. So these guys hike <laughs> all the time. Like that was their job. And if you say so. They, they went up there. <laughs> And I want to say they were gone for 10 days and they came home beat to crap, dude. It was. <laughs> Did they, were they hiking out to do the rifle? They, no, what well, they were trying to. Yeah. So they, they, they were trying <laughs> to go trying all to. the way through the corridor. And, and the horror stories that I heard. Did man, they ever it, make it five miles off the road? I think they made it finally, but it took them a long time. Did they ever time. kill one? It was. No, they came back <laughs> unsuccessful. Oh. So. You That's the thing is it, it can be very rough. You telling that story reminds me of a 40 mile story hunt. So the 40 mile is mostly resident only, right? Or no? No, no it's not. No. no I, it's, see, and there's so many people that post on Facebook that it's resident only to keep the, or military can't do that. <laughs> That's not the way I, it is. I applaud your efforts. As much as we might wish it was. Because <laughs> it's such a, it's such a. That's, so it's, it's, it's crazy. That, that's, yeah. a top, that's a it's whole topic hand. for another time. I'm not but. a big uh, hunter's orange. It's not required in the state of Alaska. If there's hunt, it should be required for, and you should wear it on. Especially if you're hunting off the road. Correct. Um, but that being, uh, I went in on the 40 mile hunt um, to a mountainous area on my wheeler. And uh, <laughs> I went in on that hunt. And there was a bunch of guys in that area because that's kind of where the caribou were. And there was one side of the trail that we were on that you could ride mm-hmm. in one side you couldn't mm-hmm. so on one side you could do whatever you wanted you could go pop wheelies and do donuts they didn't yeah. care the other side walk only hike only right mm. so um the caribou were about three miles off on the right side of the trail that i could not ride on and you know i sat there for a couple hours with another guy we were sitting there talking to each other and like going going like hmm there's a lot of caribou over there. Yep. It was a beautiful day. Sunny day. <laughs> they're, they're quite a ways away. Yep. Nothing big. Nope. nope. And uh, 
and uh we yeah we talked back and forth like that for a while and both finally said i've shot caribou before <laughs> i have no reason to need to hike three miles to go shoot a little caribou yeah and then have to and, walk it all back to hike it back and, and yeah. in a lot of these areas for you people that have never seen this kind of terrain it's it is just well, that what? was actually really easy terrain. It's, is it? That area I, I've been in spots in, up there that are not This, is, this wasn't good. on the slope. This was the 40-mile hike. No, I know. I've been in spots but over there that aren't good this either. Was, this was cakewalk hike. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Dalton knows where I was at, and I'll, yeah. I'll tell you when we're done. But yeah. um, anyway. I think so, half of Fairbanks knows where you're at with that kind of description. <laughs> Probably. I've, yeah. I I'm have. pretty sure I already know the trail, but I'm not sure. I'm um, not going to say anything. Anyway. I mean, it's the 40-mile hunt, so it's I'm not super. Right. <laughs> That's right. Um, anyway, so... Uh, I was on my way out and there's a set of switchbacks. So here's yeah, more description. I was climbing <laughs> the switchbacks. There's these uh, three military guys on one small wheeler. I'm on, oh, I'm oh, on no. my 750, yeah. okay, by myself with my gear. And, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I can, with, uh, with that thing on that trail, there's nothing to stop me except for no ride laws. These guys, three guys on like one little f- Yamaha 400 or something, <laughs> and, uh, which is a great wheeler, not for three guys. For one guy. <laughs> anyway, and they, they saw me and they're like, hey man, you seen any caribou? I said, yep, they're about three miles that way. I point them in the right direction. And they said, hey, thanks, man. Mm. And they took off. <laughs> and uh, on they foot? Had, they, well, they rode down to the bottom and went on foot. Yeah. And they, they had like one on six mm. with them or something like that. Oh my. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I came back out, came back into town, went and talked to a buddy and he's like, hey, I'm going back out. And I was like, you know, Mind, you know what? Mind if I tag along? I think I'll come with. I want to go back out there, see if they show get closer to the ro- trail. And uh, on my way in with them, those three guys are coming out, and they had some scrawny little caribou. They shot, which, <laughs> and good, you know, they you were know, so proud of it. Good for those guys. I'm so glad they got one. But yeah, you know, it's <laughs> that, that reminds me of, of a similar situation I was in where I literally watched them for through. The, I, I just I had nothing better to do. I was out there for you know a four day weekend or something like that, and so I literally just sat there and watched these these two GIs go miles off out there and i'm I feel happy for them they got one yeah. you know it's like but but yeah so it's kind of to get back to the slope though uh the terrain up there is <laughs> marshy to say the least okay it's, if you don't know where you're going if you don't know what you're doing and that's been walking on the north slope tundra through the tundra tussocks mm-hmm. if we can call them that we can that's yeah that's right <clears throat> Imagine walking on a waterbed <laughs> filled with railroad spikes and bowling yeah. balls. Yes. And, and it's basically little, what would you even say? One foot by one foot islands, essentially, that just kind of jut up. They are. And you can have a four foot plus drop off on yes. one of those sides. Yes. So, so imagine like, okay, every foot, there is a ball of grass standing about a foot above the dark waterline mm-hmm. and you can't step on the ball of grass yep. because it'll roll and you'll twist an ankle but if you step in between the grass you're either <laughs> going to be an ankle deep muck yep. or you're going to be up to your hip so it's and, <laughs> so and, and i've been buried up to my waist uh, before. Is, up, it is otherworldly you, yeah it is like um, nothing else out on, there in the corridor itself it's a lot flatter than that, mm. even. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of the tussocks, but it's more up there. You're not going to necessarily. There are places you'll sink up to your waist to your hip. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more uh, it's more just marshy mm-hmm. that makes it really hard to hike in. Yes, if you watch where you're going, wet. it's not hard to. You almost have to high step everywhere in that type of yeah. stuff. Yeah, well, it, and it's kind of interesting because a lot of it is um, 
you'll have wet patches and dry patches mm-hmm. and you and you can't get around you know you'll kind of have like these low rises and you know the last 60 miles is really complete is truly completely flat mm-hmm. yeah um you know you have portions in between there but there's there's some you go you on the road on the dalton highway you're heading north i used to drive yeah. the road a lot uh for, for work. work yeah and um so the last 60 miles, that's 60 mile where those hills are. And after that, until you get to Dead Horse, you can't actually go to Prudhoe as a civilian. Um, but Dead Horse and Prudhoe are back to back. And anyway, you, uh, it's, it's flat. I mean, it's, it's flat mm-hmm. as far as the eye can see, except for some bluffs like 100 miles this way and some bluffs 50 miles this way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when I say bluffs, I mean, they stick up 20 feet. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's flat yeah. enough you can see the 20 foot rise. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, other than that, it's very, very flat. And the, so a lot of that, you know, depending on the time of year, you can go in the winter time mm-hmm. and it's all frozen mm-hmm. and a lot of it's windblown. And honestly, that is pretty easy to hike in. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's so windblown. You can walk right on top of the snow. Yeah. Um, you know, in the summertime, you know, say you go down there and go up there in August, mm-hmm. it's going to be nasty. Yeah. Mosquitoes. But at the same time, the further north you are, the more flat it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, the big drop-offs are mostly just going to be this, like this creek that cuts through yeah. somewhere and yeah. it'll be a couple yeah. feet or three feet. Yeah. So anyway, I think that's kind of summarizes mm-hmm. the, yeah. the, the basic breakdown of the hunt units, the subunits, harvest tickets, registration permits, and draw hunts. Yep. Season lengths, you know, read the regs, people. Uh, you know, they they vary regularly between units. And it's like, you, you'll find a Not lot of people. units either. And if you yeah. talk to, let's say, your buddy that's lived in Fairbanks for a little while, he's going to tell you moose seasons from September 1st to September 20th. Mm, uh, that is no. not. 15th. No, it's the 15th. It used to be 20th. Did they, when did they change that? Uh, a while five years ago. ago. Yeah, quite a while um, ago. Okay. Five, six years ago. So at 15th. least, yeah. <laughs> you just lost four days your hunting season, didn't you? <laughs> no, because well, I'm, 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 I'm not going to disclose information on that, but, uh, but <laughs> it's been a while since I've hunted around town. But, yes. but yeah, so the uh, look that up real quick. What's that? Can moose. moose. I just want to verify that. I was just looking at it a minute yeah. ago. Moose oh. is two weeks in 20B with rifle. Down here, remainder Fairbanks. Yep. September 1st to September. Uh, that's bow. That's bow. Yeah. That's uh, Fairbanks. Man. 20B. 20B remainder. Yeah. First to the 15th. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of the state okay. is rifle. the 15th. Now. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's so they'll tell you it's the first to the 15th, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That is but not yeah, true. Season lengths are different everywhere. For, so one thing that is similar to Alaska in the States is season lengths differ for bow to rifle mm-hmm. in some areas. Some areas, yeah. But it's, that's a lot more area management, area specific type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, residents have like a seven day moose hunt with bow yep. in the management area around Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yep. Whoa. What? Okay. Sorry about that. I oh. just got a very interesting text that we'll have to revisit in a later podcast. Okay, okay. cool. But yeah, so so if you go like let's say if you're hunting around uh, the Anchorage area mm-hmm. and you're looking to get out with your bow, Unit 14 has an extra season that actually opens up <laughs> on I want to say it's the 25th of August mm. for moose, and so you can get out there a little bit beforehand. Now, whether you want to or not is is up to your preference. If you're just looking for for moose, or if you're actually wanting to hunt deeper into the mm-hmm. rut, you'd want to wait a little bit longer than that. But but if you go into all of these areas, just like Dalton was talking about with the hunt slash permit column and the 
the open two column and everything like that, there is an open season column. I think you'd referenced it in, re- in reference to the black bears where it says no close season. That is a very important thing to look into. Obviously I haven't looked <laughs> for moose in my area for a while, yeah. but or yeah. in the, the area that I live, but it's, it's something you need to look at first. Once you dial in, like these, these guys were saying the species you want to hunt, mm-hmm. the time, you know, the, the area you're going to be, and you, you figured out your unit, your subunit, you figured out how you're going to get there, which we should touch on a little bit on, on what are the most common roads yes. that people use to access most common roads and rivers. The next column over is the time frame you have to be there. Correct. And that's very important to reckon or to look at specific to your area in that order. You look at it just like that because that's going to determine the plan for your hunt. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so the season lengths will sometimes differ for residents and non-residents, uh, you know, uh, f- from, from one unit to the next. It, it'll also vary um, from subunit to subunit, you know, mm-hmm. so 20D will have different season lengths for different animals right? versus 20C or 20A or so on mm-hmm. and so forth. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I, I guess we've kind of covered that yep. as much as we need to, but so. access for different units, you know, uh, we live in Fairbanks, mm-hmm. which is pretty much the hub of the state of Alaska is, you know, for the road system. Yeah. Which is why all three of us like living here <laughs> because we don't have to hire pilots for a lot of the stuff that we want to yeah. do. Now, the we Alaska don't have to drive the Alaska road system. Hours. Right. The Alaska road system is how, how do I say this? It's Vast but limited. Correct. Yeah. It's, it, there's a lot of road, but there is a lot of restricted access mm-hmm. from the roads. Yep. So, you know, for instance, the Dalton Highway, a lot of that's motorized. Yep. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry, non-motorized. It, it's, it's, a, it's a cutoff corridor. You can't ride motorized vehicles up there off the road. So you can't use four-wheelers. You can't, use, uh, you, you can't land a plane in that corridor. So you have to fly out of it from mm-hmm. a city or from a, um, from a runway along the road somewhere, mm-hmm. um, or you have to go somewhere else. You know? yeah. Now, if, if you drive south, it's six hours to Anchorage yeah. for us in Fairbanks. If you drive north, the way you drive. it's 10 hours <laughs> to Prudhoe Bay. Okay? The way you drive. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Now, we also have routes to go east and west as well. Yeah. If we drive east... It's what three hours to Toke, and then another yeah. like four. Okay, yeah, so so about four hours over to Toke, which is due east of us. I always think it's going to be about three, and yeah, I'm and looking at the road going. Enough. I'm in the middle of nowhere still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but then just past Toke is the Canadian border to yeah. our east. If you drive west, that's where the road is the most limited for us. We really mm. don't have that much of a road system going west anywhere from Fairbanks at all. Yeah. There's a road, the Elliott Highway that we referenced earlier. Yeah. Yep. The Elliott Highway goes probably, I, I mean, it's only, northeast. Yeah. But, but, yeah no, it's, it's northwest. Yeah. It's or northwest. Sorry, yeah, I'm, totally, I'm totally turned around. Yeah. I'm totally but, turned around. But it doesn't go that far west. Yeah. It doesn't. In, 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 it, in the grand scheme of the state. It only goes as far as the and river. It doesn't cross the river. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So th- th- there are very, th- th- there is very little. Uh, Western road access it stops now, now, at the Tanana River. Specifically, yeah. <laughs> so specifically, we'll just kind of lay this out in Tanana. almost a, a, a listicle kind of way. If you're looking for the most common access to a hunting area yeah. that you could potentially go to, or a unit that you would be looking at going to, the roads you should pay attention to if you're looking for general terms is it, it almost 
it's like a a wishbone effect are the big ones. So you have the Parks Highway that comes up from Anchorage, mm-hmm. and that's going to take you through several game units up that way. Mm-hmm. Now again, look at the regs for each one. You have the Richardson Highway, which will bring you up from Valdez. Those both meet in Fairbanks, and then from there you have what you know. We have the the Steese, which turns into the Elliot, which turns into the Dalton, which we just talked about. Mm-hmm. And so you have those three main roads. Now off of those, the most common ones you'll find is the Steese mm-hmm. that we just talked about. If you it's one of those again where you turn and that goes you, northeast to Fairbanks, northwest. No, the Steese goes northeast. No, that was the Elliot. Oh, the Elliot! <laughs> so turned around today. I need more Red Bull, man. So, um, so, so it's one, it's one of those things where you come, you come out of Fairbanks on the Steese and you're going to take a hard right. Uh huh. And again, that keeps you on the same road. If you keep going straight, you're going to be on a different road. And That's the Steve's highway also ends at the Yukon River. Yes. It does. In yes. Circle Hot Springs. Yes. So anyway, and so continue. Now, in, now that's if you want to access the northern area. If you want to access some of the Alaska range, there's the Denali Highway, which actually connects the parks to the Richardson. Mm-hmm. You're going to... It's, you can cross over in there. It's about and, 132 miles or so. Something like that. It goes from Cantwell to Paxson. Mm-hmm. And so you'll be able to cross over into there and get access to a lot of great hunting areas there. there and are then also, like you said, the road over to Toke mm-hmm. is the Alaska Highway, I believe. Yes. That leads out of the state. Yes. That'll take you all the way to the Canadian border and mm-hmm. take you through, again, a lot of different units yes. and subunits and everything. So Correct. there is, that's why I say it's kind of vast but limited because these road systems are long. They right. are very long road right. systems. And they will get you to a lot of places, but in between all of those roads is a lot of country. Yes. And so when you're kind of looking for more of just a general, what road are you going to be into mm-hmm. that? Those are the, the big ones you want to focus on. Correct. So, and then off of those, there's a, a million little roads Correct. that we're not going to talk about. But and there are, yeah. Okay. So d- like, you, like yep. you just said, there are multiple little uh, offshoot roads that'll yeah. go 60 miles, 70 miles, 100 miles right. yep. that we're not going to disclose because no. some of them we've hunted off of. And, yep. and, and again, when we say we've used a road to hunt, we don't mean we road hunt. If, <laughs> no. if I'm driving five miles from there, I'm sorry, if I'm driving five hours out of Fairbanks, I ain't road hunting. No. Yeah. These are roads that we've used to gain access to a different region. And then yes. we branch off the road from there, whether it's hiking or four wheeling or boating or flying. Right. Yep. So at any rate, there are a lot of road access areas to get you to a general region, but from there, it is to your benefit to walk, boat, four-wheeler. I I know I already said boat, but raft. If you were to do a float uh, Mm -hmm. from a river that starts or or, or that intersects the road at one spot and comes back around to the road, Mm -hmm. you can do kind of a round trip like that and float from the road back to the road. And uh, yeah. there, there are several good options to do that. And, and you can off or something. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and anyway, so there are a lot of road options if you choose to go that way. I, I, that's mostly pertaining to Alaska residents. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Alaska is the last frontier, but there are sections of road that get hammered with hunting. Pressure. Yes, there is. There are a lot of hunters that hit road systems. If there is a road there or a four wheeler trailer or, mm-hmm. or, or, or a four wheeler trail there, yeah. there's going to be somebody on it Yep. during hunting season. It's just going to be how it is. Yeah. Yep. And that's why that's why you need to take advantage of um, creative access. Let's just say. So that's where um, 
the different levels of access mm. gain you better um, gain you better hunting potentially. Usually, you'll have better right. hunting the more money you spend to get away from the road systems. I was just going to ask you in your experience, tear those out by price. Okay, so road hunting is pretty cheap. <laughs> <laughs> road hunting is fuel charge and you know flat tires. Yeah. And by the way, none it's of just, these roads are like eighty mile an hour roads either. No, they're not. Sixty five. <laughs> that's the fastest you're going to go. Yes. So. Road well, hunting. Well, well. <laughs> there's, there's, there's troopers listening. <laughs> Hold my sprite. <laughs> okay, so if you're not road hunting, the next best access to get off of a road as far as rank of cost is going to be ATV or UTV. Mm -hmm. Okay. A high quality four wheeler, if it's usable in that area, if it's yeah. not a controlled use area, a high quality four wheeler starts at I don't know, eight grand nowadays. I paid eight for mine and it Easy. was hurt near brand new. So yeah. yeah. So, and, and you can go as far as you want with these toys. Yeah, you know, and a lot of that's going to depend on the kind of trails you're riding. Correct. But, but also, also let's how, just, how, let's just generalize yeah, this. Yeah. You're not going to get a Can-Am for eight grand, but you'll get a, you'll get a, uh, you used to. <laughs> yeah. We don't need anyway, to get into yeah. all that. Eight to 10,000 bucks for a four wheeler, <laughs> 10 to $15,000 for a side by side. If not, way more than that for a Okay. That's your next best option if you want to get off of a road. Yeah. If you don't just want to run, if, no if, if you don't like just want to be stuck to your truck, I'm talking about fall hunting season. Well, ATV fine. or UTV is the next level up. And then from there, you have boats. Mm -hmm. Which I'll start another thousand. Well, boat is breaking out another thousand. I would say underneath, maybe underneath the, the, the ATV UTV would be would be a road to road float hunt. I'm getting to that. Okay, so I'm going to classify that under hunting from your vehicle from the road because literally anybody can do that. Yeah. Now they might die, after but yeah after <laughs> after ATVs you have boat hunting. Okay. Yep. Now. Boats are significantly more expensive than four wheelers and and uh, and side by sides, especially nowadays. If you ever priced out a boat from yeah. say just the boat shop, you're going to spend an arm and a leg. I just, mean, it's it's the price of an expensive pickup truck. Just, just the motor is going to cost you what the four wheeler did. Yeah, uh, it, it, exactly. If, if not, not one more. Well, right. Depending yeah. on how big of a boat you get. Yeah. But a boat enables you to get even farther off the road. But then you have to think about, well, how many folks in Alaska have boats? Mm -hmm. A lot. A lot of people have ATVs, or I'm just going to start saying four-wheelers or wheelers because I feel wrong saying ATV. <laughs> I do too. But quads. A lot of folks have... No. No quads. No. No. A lot of folks have, have wheelers, and a lot of folks up here have boats. Now, you're going to see a huge hodgepodge of what kind of boats guys hunt out of. Not to mention wheelers. There are a ton of varieties yeah. of hunting boats, we'll call them, ranging from a 12-foot aluminum boat mm -hmm. that you could just about sneeze and put a hole through. <laughs> and guys are running a 1980s Evan Root yeah. motor on them, and they're still killing moose with them. Yep. That sounds specific. Not with the boat, but... <laughs> <laughs> There's laws about that, too. Actually, if you want to read them. Correct. 
correct. <laughs> All the way up to the guys that have like a 25 foot boat with a, yeah. with 150 horse or even more. Yeah. And they'll go throw that in the Yukon River or yeah. a large body of water. And they'll use that to get access or to airboats in the flats. Airboats yeah. are basically like a boat with an airplane motor on the back of it. And <laughs> they're about as loud as they sound. They can go across uh, swampy areas, though, and yes. through sloughs and stuff that motorized. Right. Now, because of that, there are still regulations in a lot of these these areas that regulate, that for regulate air specifically airboats. And a lot of that's correct. even also hovercraft. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Even more so than yeah. that. So, that being said, <laughs> the next level up from boat access is the almighty. It's the airplane. Mm -hmm. And the airplane is the backcountry hunter's best friend. Yeah. Because there are a whole lot fewer folks in Alaska that have airplanes. And there are even a whole lot fewer folks that have airplanes that can fly people. So there is a very select community of folks that can even be flown Mm -hmm. by pilots that are eligible to fly them. Yeah. So to be flown for a hunt, a pilot has to be a transporter. Mm-hmm. has to be a licensed up and up transporter unless you've got like a buddy that you have a deal with or something yep. like that, which, you know, if, if, if your good friend, you know, flies you out hunting and you guys hunt together, that's awesome. That, that, that's a great friend to have. Good friends are pilots. <laughs> that's yeah. just how it is. <laughs> but most folks don't have access to that. Okay. Um, so you have to, that, that, that final step that's, that, that's going to separate you from the competition. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, if you have a four-wheeler, somebody else has a four-wheeler. Yep. If you've got a boat, somebody else has a bigger boat or a faster yep. boat or a boat that can run shallower that's going to get past you. So it's all about how far can I get from the beaten path, right? Now, I'm going to say this with a grain of salt because I'm, I don't have the information right in front of me. But I, did, I do believe I read somewhere that Alaska does actually have the highest per capita plane ownership. Oh, I'm sure. That's because so, we have like under a million people well, in the entire yeah. state. There's, yeah. Correct. <laughs> How many people? Yeah. What it's, is, it's like 700,000 now. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 un, it's, it's, it's under a million. Too. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's under a million for the entire state. But Keep it that way. Per capita, we do have a lot of pilots. Yes. That is true. But not, the, the, I, I would venture to say the majority of those pilots, I'm sure, are not licensed transporters. No. And they probably have it to get to their own hunting spot. Exactly. They're not going to take you to. Exactly. <laughs> Now, that being said, if you are interested in paying the premium price, mm-hmm. several thousand dollars yeah. for a transport flight out to the middle of nowhere, then we're going to reference what Mariah was talking about, and that's a float hunt. Um, a, a, a great way to cover a lot of country on a mm-hmm. fly-in hunt is a float hunt, mm-hmm. where you get dropped off on a gravel bar on a river somewhere, and you float down to the designated pickup spot. That enables you to cover a lot of country and not have to really pack anything back out to the airstrip right. to get picked up at. Yep. It's a very, very low uh, impact, hunt Im- hunting impact. Correct. Because you're in a boat. Correct. You're, yeah, exactly. You're not making trails through the middle of nowhere. Yep. And it'll, it, it, again, to me, the biggest thing is it allows you to just, okay, well, I don't like this spot. Get back in the boat. Just flow down river. Just raft it out. Whether yep. you want to do it with pack rafts or a big frame raft and, you know, you can do it however you want. And there are rental companies in Alaska oh, that you yeah. can rent oh, boats. Yeah. You, you can rent rafts from. And uh, now, the one thing I will say about fly-in hunting is you need to be thinking about this well ahead of when you want to go. Transporters in Alaska are at an all-time backed-up rate right mm-hmm. now. 
I have some friends uh, that I'm not going to mention their names that they're, they were trying to get a fly in hunt scheduled, just a DIY drop transport hunt um, for this fall, 2023. And I couldn't find them anybody that was number one, either open for this fall or that wasn't charging $6,500 yeah. for a drop off and pickup. And that was without getting a moose. Yeah. And, and, and the pilots told me, oh yeah, if you shoot a moose, tack on another 2,500 bucks. For well, an extra and, and for those listening, yeah. the reason for that is that most of these plans are going to get dropped off on are very small and they yes. do have a very limited payload that they can carry. Correct. So if you come back with just you and your gear, you're going to fly out with just you and your gear the way you came in. If you come out with a 800 pound moose, mm-hmm. you know, then that's a four that's, to five trip deal. Yeah. They're, they're going to be able to load and unless they have access to a long enough road or a long enough airstrip and mm-hmm. a big enough plane, mm-hmm. that's at least two extra trips. Well, at he can least always, oh, at the very yeah. minimum. Yeah. He, yeah. He can and, take more out than he can take in. Right? Yeah. But yeah. And, and so the and, and fuel costs these days. Yes. So. Everything is getting more expensive in Alaska and air transport services are having to accommodate for that. So that being said, if you are going to do a flyout hunt, I, there's never a better time to book it than now. Mm. Get on that list, get ahead of the game. And, and now that being said, a lot of these transporters do have pack lists and weight limits yeah. that you have to stay inside of where you can't have, okay, they'll say whatever you can put on your person. Uh, then plus you can have, let's say, I don't know, 55 pounds of gear in your pack. Mm-hmm. No more than that. That's 55 pounds plus what you got on your person. So you wear your binoculars. They don't count your rifle weight usually. But what's in your pack? 55 pounds, man. That's, uh, that's clothes. That's nope. your shelter. That's all your food for you know a week to 10 days and they will weigh you so don't think you're getting and away with it they weigh your stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you ain't getting away with and it and if it's over then the crocs are coming out baby yeah you know? <laughs> which you don't want that to happen no crocs are an essential crocs. item <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna go back and put that in episode 12 edit, edit episode 12 <laughs> crocs need to be in your essential <laughs> item never leave your pack if you ain't crocking, you ain't rocking. That's correct. <laughs> so, at any rate, there are a lot of things to consider about fly-in hunts, and we'll cover that in some other episodes, some other time. Oh, but that's going to be a whole episode right there. But that being said, I, I would I would say that fly-in hunts are are the ones that I've had the best experience in, as far as not having any other competition. Yeah, generally, a good transporter service has an exclusive area that he pretty much works by himself meaning there aren't a lot of other transporters in that area dropping off hunters on top of you. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to put you on top of a different hunter that he dropped off last week. He's not going to put two moose hunters in the same airstrip. He knows that's asking for a gunfight. So, <laughs> Literally. So that being said, pick a quality transporter, pick a safe transporter. And, uh, you know, af- after you pick your area out, then get on Google and uh, yep. start looking for some options in the area. Yeah. So, you can you can look up specifically just find you know the biggest town mm-hmm. near wherever it is you know it doesn't have to be a big town in, in Alaska there's not a whole lot of those but you can look up the general area people live in that area mm-hmm. and just look up transporter mm-hmm. you know or guide or whatever it is and, and most of the time it'll pop up pretty easily air I've, taxi I've, air yeah. taxis yeah that's a yeah mm-hmm. so anyway I I think that's about 
as basic as we can get. I know we tried really not to dive off into yeah. a lot of different things. Here. If you can't tell, it's hard and not it's to do that. very yeah. difficult because we have so many little different tangents that we want to go down and talk about little individual things, and we didn't want to do that. So when, when we're not on the mics, just so everybody's aware, these conversations can go yeah. till midnight oh, there, or there later can, easily. There, there can be more time not on the mic trying to figure out how we're going to talk about this or, <laughs> yes. or what, specifically what we're yeah. not going to talk about and just, exactly, and, and just be concise about it yeah so <laughs> but, anyway if we didn't cover what you wanted to hear about concerning alaska hunt opportunities email us at the northernhunter.com click the email contact us link and let us know yep. what we didn't talk about that you wanted to hear about yep. and if we did harp on something a little bit too much you know what? Get on there and send us an email and tell us that we're proficient. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and to, to that point, I love getting feedback, positive or negative. Yeah. I mean, we, we've gotten from, from multiple episodes, you know, I kind of manage the, the social media for the, for the company and we get a lot of feedback per episode. Mm-hmm. You know, things they did like, things they didn't like. We went too in-depth. We didn't go in-depth enough. And I love reading that, people. Mm-hmm. So if you have anything... I mean, I obviously use the contact on the on the website first. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of us. But mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to talk to any of us, you can on pretty much any platform. So, yep. Reach out to us. Let us know. Yep. And now it looks like Mo has a bonus segment yeah, I, for I us. I, I thought that was a cool way to put that because I was thinking about talking about this at the beginning. <laughs> then I forgot to bring that up. So, hey, this is a good time to talk about it. Sure. Uh, um, I told, showed Dalton this to Dalton and talked to him about it. And we kind of... Uh, looked at these and gazed at them and wished we were rich. Um, <laughs> I, I saw these. I thought it was really cool. I thought the podcast would be a good place to bring it up. If anybody on the listening is really rich and then, then maybe this hey. is something that they want to uh, look at. But uh, the SCI convention is coming up this is, I think it may even be this February um, 25th. Yep. February 25th. Okay. Um, SCI uh, Safari Club International. Uh, which I'm a member of. So I get their Safari magazine every, however many, however often that comes. Yes, I get that. Yes, I, yeah, I'm a club of oh, Safari. Yeah, or am I in the record book? Not yet. I haven't okay. done the paperwork. Okay, I've, gotcha. I, 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 I shot a big wolf. We'll talk about that later. But <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, so I said, this caught my eye in the magazine and I looked it up and there's more information about it here. I thought it'd be cool if we talked about this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Dalton uh, really seemed interested when I showed him and <laughs> it, it from from what you can see here it says the African Lion Rifle Collection uh James I don't think has seen this before no. but what this is is five rifles that are all oh. made to match they're all unique but they're all made to match in a certain way they're all different calibers and it's a set that will be sold together those are at the sick. auction uh they're made by um John Bollinger uh and w- he, he was the gunsmith that put the set together and he, he actually had a different engraver do each rifle. Oh, I love uh, how they did the scope rings. Yes, on they those. all have custom scope rings. They all come with a uh, Soros scopes on them. Um, <laughs> Swarovski. 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 Yes. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. Um, anyway, so yeah, in like all the butt plates have like a different lion on them because it's the African lion collection. So we're looking at the uh, seven rem ultra mag is the Ooh. smallest one. The 300 rem ultra mag, the 338 rem ultra mag, that's Remington, folks. Rem, um, the uh, 378 Remington ultra mag, 375. All oh, 375, man, I messed that one up, didn't I? 
Yep. So and we talked about three seventy fives. Yep. The uh, four fifty Remington Ultra Mag, Man. which is a very custom round. Yes. That's a whole lot of rum. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this is this would be a very sweet rifle set to own. If you don't like your shoulders very much, <laughs> <laughs> none of these guns have brakes. No. They don't have brakes. They don't have. That one almost pads. looks like it's ported, though. I don't know. I can't um, tell. By, I, I can't tell by the engraving. Oh, that's engraving. I think okay. that's, that's just it. the engraving. Yeah. yeah. That is awesome. What's is this a, a like? Are people bidding on this? this? Is an yes, auction. it's, it's going to okay. be auctioned off. So they they all say, um, and you can't just buy one of them. No, you have no, to buy you get the whole collection. as a collection, oh, which I think is great. I hope somebody doesn't buy them and split them up. Because this is some of the things about them. Uh, so the seven rem mag says on it ultra rifle series one of five, and they're oh, numbered like that, engraved. Nice. Wow. They're each in. They each have, I believe, John Bollinger and the engraver's name engraved on them. Wow. The wood blanks are from a, I believe, a Lebanese walnut tree, and they oh. are five matching rifle blanks. So the left side of one rifle blank matches the right side of the next one next to it because they came out of the same piece of wood. <laughs> so the, if anybody wants to donate to my cause so I can review these for you guys, I can, you can Venmo me. That's these, uh, one, of my, <laughs> one of my favorite parts of this whole collection is that they're all built on brand new custom made actions directly from Winchester. Mm. They are model 70 classic actions custom made with consecutive serial numbers yes. for each one wow. of the guns. The Model 70 classic control round feed action for each one of these that guns. That is amazing. So this, I'm, we're on Safari SCI's website, which is safariclub.org. If you just Google the African Lion rifle collection, it'll pop right up. Um, Hopefully so you you're can sit drooling here and drool. these oh, guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh my land! That's awesome. The craftsmanship and the and and the quality of the engraving is just phenomenal. Okay, right I, got, I got the I got the tree wrong. It's a three hundred year old Turkish walnut tree. Oh my! Wow. And so yeah, the left side of the stock does it give you the, the right side of the other? Is this a something people can bid on up to the date, or do they? I bid believe on it's the on, date, the day of, on the day of. The, okay. I don't think so. It's we can't see like either. what it's at now or anything. No, like I don't that. believe it's yeah, online it's either. I believe yet. it's just at. Well, you got to go to the convention. Man. Which, I mean, you kind of have to be able to afford to go to the convention <laughs> to bid on these rifles. <laughs> but um, if you want some eye candy, this is... Because, I mean, it's, wow. it's amazing what, what just a high-quality engraved rifle like this would go for by itself. I mean, just one can go for easily well over 100 grand. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Um, yep. All so day long. Yep. It, it'll be interesting to see who bids on these this and what they sell for. And I really hope whoever buys them does, some, does, does them justice in the display. And I uh, hope he shoots a lion with yes, all five every of single one. <laughs> yeah, I, you know this would be the this would be the kind of thing where you do you got to do five Africa hunts so you mm -hmm. can do an, a hunt with each rifle. Mm -hmm. um, and they all, I believe they also come with custom loaded ammunition for each one. Mm. Wow, I believe uh, I believe I read that somewhere. Is this gunsmith still alive, John Bollinger? Um, I thought I had read somewhere that he had passed away. So I believe maybe, so because it says maybe that was the engraver. John Bollinger Jr. will display them to the convention attendees. Hmm. Um. Sorry for the long pause, folks. Yeah, uh, it's we, all right. We, We're all we, reading we, here. We can get rid of that. Um. The so so the the uh, barrels are Krieger. Krieger. Yeah. They. Hmm. Uh, I don't see anything about it. 
Anyway, so I thought I read something about that. Was a beautiful series of mm-hmm. rifles. Yeah, I thought yeah, I read something about that amazing. too. Um, what impresses me about it is the hunting rifle world has gone such the route of weather resistant, yeah, stainless mm-hmm. steel, and then we went to Cerakotes and yeah. various uh, nitride coatings to weatherproof our rifles, right. Synthetic stocks, rubber stocks, fiberglass stocks, carbon fiber stocks now. Which can look good and do. They do look good, but, but it's a very different yeah. looking good. It's like comparing a 1960s Mustang to a 2023 Bugatti. It's not the same type of nice car. They're both nice cars. But yeah, but I'd much rather have one of these <laughs> than a Bugatti. <laughs> yeah, right. 100% agreed. But that's the comparison, though. If you compare like an off-the-shelf, um, modernized, Cerakoted, you know, semi-custom gun, yeah. say from like Fierce that has like, a, right. I mean, all the carbon fiber, all the titanium parts, and it's this new racy, all-weatherproof model. Mm. But at everybody's heart, I think every true sportsman has a soft spot for a pre-64 Model 70. Yeah. You know, there's the, the, just something. This is a classic just look. something neat the about that. The stocks, blue and, barrels, and, and to see somebody making these right now to this level of customization mm-hmm. in a set like this of this that, premium quality. Does it say if that's real gold inlay? It is gold inlay. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it, just the detail of engraving yeah. on these guns is just exquisite. It's phenomenal. And the so, checkering so on the stocks is... So if you're able to afford a Bugatti, you can probably afford this gun yeah. collection. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but if otherwise, you, you can join us. If you just can gawk, afford a Bugatti, then, then email and, us at the northernhunter.com. <laughs> <laughs> we want to talk. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast right now and you buy this rifle collection, we would really love to be able to handle these at some point. And I'll, if that would be like your are your thank you to us for letting yeah. you know, <laughs> I'll do you one better. <laughs> yeah, I'll do you one better. If anyone listening to this podcast right now buys this rifle collection and you live in the contiguous uh, United States, I'll pay your way to come up to Fairbanks <laughs> to our studio and display these rifles for us so we Yo. can each handle them. So you can be on the yeah. podcast. I don't yeah. even want to shoot them. No, I just want to look at them yeah. and touch them. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's all I want to do. I'll pay your way to our studio. Right. So, and we'll have you on the podcast. Yes, yeah. we'll have you on the yeah. podcast. We'll do a video podcast and put it on YouTube for you. <laughs> these guns would... I mean, these are literally heirloom quality. I mean, they, they, oh, these yeah. will go for generations. These, and they're only going to go up in value. Oh, yeah. As the market has changed now, yeah. guns of this craftsmanship and detail... And the artwork of the engraving and the quality of the woodwork and the, uh, the, the consecutive serial numbers. I mean, collectors put a serious amount oh, of yeah. money into stuff like this. These are going to be worth 10 times what they're worth in 100 years yep. right now. Anyway. But yeah, and, I, and you know, I, so, and, oh, I'm glad you brought this up. Certified new. Yeah, there you go. And they come with Mountain Rifleries manufacturer's warranty. Hmm. So they're warranted too. I don't know if they're warranted, you know, if you take it out in the woods and drop it in the mud. Oh, you know, please just, don't do that. No, you, At you that know, point, you, you're just an idiot. You, you take you this on, on a hunt, on a ranch, you know, high fence hunt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know what you use during that time? Uh, uh, the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. There you go. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yes, the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover and also a padded gun case. And a padded gun case, <laughs> yeah. Inside the padded gun yeah, case. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
<laughs> if you buy this rifle collection, email Ryan Lampers, and I'm sure he'll make you some gun cases for it. Yeah, get, get you some lion patches. On, I'm on sure those. he'll make a yeah. custom one for you. Yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll put a little lion's, a lion's mane on the rifle for you. <laughs> anyway, well, that, that's, right. that's a great segue into if you like the show and you want to help support the show and you don't know how, go mm-hmm. over to stealthyhunter.com. Or click the link on the northernhunter.com and click our banner link to the Stealthy Hunters website yep, yep. where you can shop gear from Ryan Lampers and his wife, Hillary, mm-hmm. from Stealthy Nutrition and Stealthy, uh, Stealthy Hunter gear with rifle covers, glassing pads, nutritional supplements, and so on and so forth. Yep. And more to come someday, I'm sure. So we will uh we will see and, you guys next and, time oh and yes and use, use the code use the code the, the northern, northern hunter, hunter yeah. at discount uh, for a discount at checking at checkout <laughs> that's uh, no spaces no caps right? i'm going all over myself words are hard <laughs> yes sorry it's been a long work day and this is nighttime for all yeah. you guys listening so all right well you guys got anything else for us i think i think that's it i think i've I think we may on have landed this one under two hours maybe yeah i think yeah, hey, just hour, under so hour 45 with that being said if you enjoyed this podcast definitely give us a rating give us a comment and let us know what we can do better hit us up on our webpage at the northernhunter.com the contact icon there you can hit us up anytime we will do our best to reply i hope the audio quality is getting better it's getting better yeah. um i've been and, learning the editing process more and more we're working on getting better equipment uh the area we record needs a better soundproofing and, and we're yep. on that too so yeah all updates to come but yeah so hit us up thanks for listening and we will catch you next week have a good one hunt smart hunt safe all right <laughs>